You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. We're studying through the book of Acts. We are in Acts 22 and 23. We have a chunk of scripture. My topic this morning, how to handle your tough calling. A number of years ago, Ellen and I visited uh, some dear friends in Turkey. They had spent 10 years as missionaries in Afghanistan, very tough calling. Then they relocated because of the risk in Afghanistan to Turkey. This is the Shouse family. And so we had a wonderful time, nine days together, and they gave us a tour of Asia Minor where the seven churches of Revelation are. We went down to Cappadocia, saw the churches um, that were birthed in Acts 2 because there were Cappadocians there. It was just a marvelous time. But one of the impressionable moments took place on Sunday morning as we were going to church. Their apartment was just below what's called the Ankara International Church. I'll show you a picture of that. We're walking up to the church, and the church had been closed for some time because of risk and terrorism. And so security issues were high, and they just had to close the church for quite some time. We're walking up the hill, and I noticed a number of uh, uh, police cars uh, watching over the church. And the missionaries told us that's both a encouragement, but also a challenge because you don't know who's for the Christians or against the Christians. That's how difficult this ministry context is. And so as we approached the uh, church and getting ready to enter, we had to be wanded. Now think about this. There's security outside the church. And so the purse and Bible is taken and you stand there before you enter the church and you're wanted to make sure you were uh, not bringing in anything dangerous. That was quite a moment. And then talking to the missionaries about the beautiful glass on the church, it's a wonderful looking complex. The church closed down and the security team made a decision to replace the glass with shatterproof, bombproof glass because of the high risk in that context. I sat in worship that morning. The pastor was preaching on uh, the book of Ephesians. And we've seen some of the tension in the book of Ephesus, if you recall, in Acts chapter 20. Paul almost got ripped apart in the amphitheater for preaching the gospel. And it was a very emotional time. And I thought about the missionaries who were giving their life to a very difficult context. I thought about the expatriates who were in there worshiping with their children. And some of the locals who have given their life to Christ and taken a stand for Christ. It was a very risky thing to be in worship that morning. And then I thought about tough callings. The Bible is filled with tough callings. Life group a few weeks ago, we were reflecting on that. And it's not just in Turkey with missionaries in difficult parts of the world. All of us experience that. And in our life group that night, we just unpacked some of the difficulties within family, work, health, finances, dreams, passions that might be unrealized. And then we jumped to scripture. We looked at individuals in scripture, and you could just spend literally the rest of the morning highlighting individuals like Abram, who left everything to say yes to God. Esther, who risked her life to save her people from genocide. Mary. A 13, 14-year-old 
girl who became impregnated by the Holy Spirit. But a sword would pierce her soul all the days of her life. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul. We've seen his journey quite difficult over the past many weeks. And so every story is different. We're not missionaries overseas. We certainly have some similarities to biblical character, but I know our fellowship well enough. We're all bearing a little bit of that tough calling. And so maybe your tough calling students is just bringing Jesus to your context, to your friends, to your sports, to your schools. And sometimes that's difficult. Maybe for adults, it's representing Christ in the marketplace, at work. Some of you parents here have a tough calling. You're raising special needs children. Maybe you have a wayward child. And you have to hold loosely and just pray that God's going to work. Some of you, it's health. And boy, you were blindsided. And the diagnosis was difficult. Finances. And the list goes on and on in our life. The callings that we have in Christ. How do we lean into our tough callings? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so to go back a little bit, as Caitlin already reminded us, uh, the Apostle Paul went from an antagonist to someone who embraced a kingdom assignment. What was his assignment? It was tough. He was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And boy, his... His own people, the Jews, just hated that. And so wherever he went, it seemed like Paul was pushing against the opposition and struggling to move forward. I want to show you where we are in Israel right now. Uh, Acts chapter 22 and 23 is a place called the Temple Mount. And so Paul's there. He's there as a worshiper. But guess what? A riot again breaks out. And they want this guy dead. If you've been watching the news the past month, Ramadan, a Muslim holy month, and Easter collided this year. Guess what? Very same place, riots were breaking out in Jerusalem the past month and are still taking place. Folks, what took place 2,000 years ago is still taking place. And it's all part of this faith journey. And Jesus Christ is the focal point of the tension. And so here's Paul again, trying to be a worshiper, trying to share the good news. And here's what the haters shouted. Let me show it to you. Look at your Bible. Acts chapter 22. Wipe this person off the earth. It's a disgrace for him to live. That's quite a statement. Paul's now at least 20 years into his kingdom assignment. He's already a participant in three missionary journeys. The gospel has advanced from Israel all the way over to Europe. And here he is back in Jerusalem, ministering to his own people, and they say, wipe him off the face of the earth. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel? <laughs> well, that's... That's kind of you to remind me of that. She was. All right. Um, yeah, how would you feel, folks? It would have to be discouraging. It would have to be depressing. Let me show you where Paul is sitting right now. Yeah, the commander rescued him, but he's sitting in a prison cell in a dungeon. This is the actual place. You can go there in Jerusalem today. It's below the Antonio Fortress. 
It's the northwest part of the Temple Mount. It's where Jesus was arrested and imprisoned when he went through his trials. Paul's given his life for the kingdom and glory of God, and he winds up in prison again. Yes, that's a tough calling. But here's what I love. Look at Acts 23, 11. It's a beautiful statement. The following night, he's in prison. The Lord stood by him and said, what? Have courage, Paul, for you have testified about me where? In Jerusalem. He's done this. This isn't the only time. But notice this. So you must also testify where? In Rome. Friends, this is Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Rome was the ends of the earth. It was the end of the earth in the worldview of the day. And so God has this designated spot. And he stands with Paul. And what does he say in his tough calling? Have courage. Sound familiar? The Bible is a book about addressing fear in our life. And fear is overcome by courage. Let me take you back to a very fearful time in Israel's history, the book of Joshua. If you can imagine being this young protege, Joshua, he takes over from Moses. He fills big shoes, right? 40 years Moses led his people. And Joshua's taken the nation of Israel in the promised land. Three times in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. Joshua, don't fear. Be strong and courageous. And here's what we'll see down the road. Because I'm with you. I'm present. And then Paul, when he wrote the epistle to the Ephesian church, he said this. He learned very quickly how to, be, uh, how to deal with your tough calling. In Ephesians 6.10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's the key. When we face our tough calling, regardless what it is, that everybody is different. We need the courage of Christ. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to experience his presence standing with us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I hope you have your Connect card, as many of the students do. Man, I appreciate you guys. They got pens in hand, Connect card. You know, you should be a testimony to some of these adults out there. I like that. Way to go, sincerely. So let me share with you the blessing. Each one of us can embrace our tough calling or callings by following the courageous example of Paul. And friends, please hear me. Sometimes we think Paul was like over the top, super Christian. I mean, this guy was a broken man. When you read 2 Timothy, four chapters, he's in prison, ready to be martyred under Nero, and he's going to pour out his heart. He's a broken man. Why? Everybody deserted him. He's alone in his final hours after 30 years of kingdom work. And I feel the emotion and pain when he writes that epistle to Timothy. And Timothy's ready to abort faith. He's like struggling. Why? The persecution was enormous in the first century. Paul's not super Christian, but I'll tell you something. He knew Christ. He experienced the resurrected Christ, the power of the living Savior, and boy, that transformed his life. So, three examples. Let's take a look. Example number one, gain courage through Christ's sovereign presence. 
And this was such a joy to be reminded of this past week. I don't know about you, but it's easy to talk about <clears throat> Jesus, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If I'm for you, who'll be against you? We talk about that a lot, but what does it really mean today, right now, this evening, this coming week when the going gets tough? Well, let's take a look at this sovereign presence. Back to verse 11 of chapter 23. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage, for you have testified about me in Jerusalem. You must also testify in Rome. Friends, there's a really beautiful pattern we see unfold in the book of Acts. And I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but I'm going to highlight a few things about the presence of God and how unique it was in Paul's life as he went through this tough calling and difficult journey. Let me take you back, and you don't need to flip there. This is for illustration purpose. Acts 16, we've already explored the uh, call to Macedonia. Paul was thinking about going north to Bithynia. Boom. He had a vision. And there's a man saying, hey, come to Macedonia. Come to Philippi. Come help us. And he brought the gospel. Who was there? Remember Lydia, the seller of purple, came to faith in Christ. The church was born in her home. The Philippian jailer came to faith in Christ. The whole family were baptized. A demon-possessed gal had her life transformed. That was a call, but it came in a vision. The Lord was revealing himself to Paul. Secondly, in Acts 18, it's real interesting. Paul's in Corinth. A little bit about Corinth. Uh, the Corinthian church rejected Paul's apostleship. And there was always tension. The first epistle, he's writing to correct a lot of bad behavior. And then in 2 Corinthians, they just said, you were never even one of the 12. You don't count. And he had to defend his apostleship. He poured out his hearts. And so in Corinth, it was tough to do ministry. It was all this opposition. And you know what the Lord says or in Acts 18? The Lord stood with them, gave them a vision, and said, keep preaching. Your words are going to go forth and have power. And for six more months, Paul expanded the gospel in the city of Corinth, and the kingdom came. And then, let me show you Acts 27. We'll get there in a few weeks. And again, I'm just giving this as illustration purpose. There's a shipwreck in Acts 27. And who stands with Paul? Look at this. An angel of God stands with Paul, reveals to him, Paul, take courage. Guess what? You're safe. You're safe in God's hands. Communicate this to all the shipmates. And boom, they were rescued. And then probably one of my favorites, and I want to read this. It's 2 Timothy 4. I've already highlighted he's ready to be martyred under Nero. Nero was barbaric to Christians, despised Christians. And uh, what he did was just abhorrent. But here's what Paul says, final words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, at my first defense, again, Roman soldier, or Roman citizen, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. Can you imagine being the Apostle Paul? Three decades of gospel ministry. He's talking about believers, folks. He's talking about the people he planted churches with, who he served, he poured out his life, who he risked his life for. They didn't stand with him. They deserted him. How would you feel? And notice his heart. May it not be counted against them. And then I love this next statement. All abandoned. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. That's a picture of God 
God's presence in Paul's life. Now, friends, I do believe this with all my heart. We believe that, that God is present. We don't have to pray for that. He promised, I'll be with you. I'll never forsake you. But here's one thing I do believe in my own life and probably yours. Practicing the presence of God is another issue. And so there is a beautiful, beautiful encouragement throughout church history and scripture to practice the presence of God. So here's the biblical reality. He is with us. How do we experience his presence today, right now? How do we come to worship anticipating the glory of God? Can I give you five things? And this isn't exhaustive. The first one is this. And, and before that, Psalm 73, 28 because the psalmist really paints a beautiful picture here. He says, as for me, God's presence is my good. Think about that just for a moment. As for me, God's presence is my good. God's presence sustains me. There's value and appreciation. When he's present, oh, I feel that it's good. So let me give you five ways to practice God's presence. They're going to go quick. Number one, be seeing. Be seeing. Can I encourage you? A great practice, and this is just what Ellen and I do. We've tried to come up with some practices as husband and wives. Husband and wife, we just like to start every day with eyes wide open. Think about that picture. Where you go into each day, eyes wide open, and you're expecting to experience and see the glory of God. Where do I get that from? It's Ecclesiastes 3. 14, God works so that people will stand in awe of him. God is working. Do you believe that, church? Last week, we had a wonderful time, right? And we stood in awe of God. But has he worked this past week in your life? In mine? I hope so. But as we start each day, eyes wide open, we stand in awe of God as he is working. Now, let me tell you one funny story. It's Tuesday. I'm studying early. I get a knock on the door. It's Pastor Jason. Hey, come on out. Guess what? So I come out. Guess what? There's this huge tractor trailer with 3,000 pounds of chairs. It's time to unload, Keith. You ready? Sure. We called Heath Eckert. Where's Heath? It's Heath in the house. Man, when you need help moving, just call Heath. Heath's moving company. Sorry, Heath. You know, we get about three calls this coming week. But how fun it was, you guys, to just unload, put them along the walls, and say, God, we stand in awe of you. It's a little thing. But your people were generous. We prayed, and here you are. We're thankful. That's a little thing, but it's a big thing. Don't miss the little things. Let's stand in awe of God. Secondly, be still. I think, if you're like me, because I want to go, 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 this is a hard one. We live life in the fast lane, and sometimes in our rapidity, we're just running, we pass them by. Why be still? The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Being still. Those of you who took sacred places, uh, that's what we're talking about here. Where are those sacred places or sacred spaces to be still in God's presence? Do you know Elijah's story? Man, he, he goes up against the prophets of Baal and there's huge contests between paganism and the kingdom of God. 
And so he experiences the glory of God. He sought, and then he retreated. There was fear. There was anxiety. He thought he was going to die. He wanted to die. He was just kind of, uh. And what happened? There's storms. There's this. There's that. But he experienced God in his still, small voice. This is the whole picture throughout Old and New Testament. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Be teachable. Open your heart to God. Open your heart to his spirit. Why? The spirit and the word work in concert always. Be seeing, be listening. Third, or be still. Third, be listening. And again, this is the idea of hearing his voice. If you're familiar with Isaiah 55, let me read this to you. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament prophet. For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So we got rain, we got snow, and it's replenishing the earth. What a beautiful morning. We, we see the, the season, the spring, the life coming back. And so God likens his word to that. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So the word of God is like water. It's replenishing the soil of our soul. It's bringing forth life in this new season. Are we listening? Are we responding? Fourth, be giving. And friends, this comes from Paul. In Acts 20, 35, in every way I've shown that, I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak, to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why do I include be giving? Because Paul kept giving. My goodness, he just didn't run out. He had the strength of the Lord to keep pushing through 30 years of kingdom work with so much opposition. I think Paul learned from Jesus this great truth. In your brokenness, keep giving. I want to pause there for a moment. In your brokenness, keep giving. A lot of times what happens in our brokenness, we just feel broken. And we go into depression sometimes and medication and this and that. We run to things that aren't healthy. You look at the culture around us and some of the things, the chaos that people experience and where they go when they're broken. I think the model for brokenness is Jesus. This is my body broken for you, he says. In his brokenness, he kept giving. What did he give? Seven things at Calvary. Forgiveness. Mom, behold your son. Son, behold your mom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He kept giving in his brokenness. And yes, it's hard. But I think it is the biblical model for experiencing the presence of God. And then finally, be daily. And why do I say be daily? We had some good conversation at staff meeting this past week about Easter. Do you realize Easter is Easter? Last week was last week, and this week is this week. Last Sunday was last Sunday, and this Sunday is this Sunday. We can't replicate last Sunday. As glorious as it was, as transformational as it was, today is a new Sunday. And as Caitlin reminds us, it is Resurrection Sunday still. 
And so be daily. Today counts. We don't wait for next Easter. We don't wait for Christmas or Thanksgiving. As important as those holidays are, today right now matters. Where do I get that from? 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for what? The glory of God. Friends, that's one of the most precious ways to live life. Everything in life matters, and I mean everything. Every attitude, every thought, every conversation, every deed, your morning, noon, and night, your occupations, your hobbies, it all matters. It can all bring glory to God. How many of you like the Masters? You watch some of the Masters? Anybody out there? About 10 of you. How many went to the Masters? Yes, Mr. Dean, one of our elders. That was fun, wasn't it? I vicariously lived through you for a few days. And then I got a master's golf towel. Loving it. So let me show you, Scotty Sheffer. How many of you don't care about the masters of golf? You hate golf? Yeah, more, more than not. All right, I got it. This guy's cool. 25 years old. His first major, Augusta, Georgia, the masters. You know what he said? And I'm going to paraphrase, but this is so beautiful. He says, I golf to the glory of God. His identity is not wrapped up in golf. It has nothing to do with winning or losing. Every game, I give it to the Lord, to his glory. Now, with that kind of disposition, would you agree it's wonderful to celebrate this guy's victory? That's the life we're called to live, folks. Today really matters. This week really matters. Don't be thinking about the next thing two months from now. Thinking about today, two hours from now, how you can bring glory to God in all that you do. What a beautiful way to live life. And so, take courage, Paul. The road's tough. Where does it all begin? Here's the encouragement. It begins with experiencing the presence of God. Can I remind you, you don't have to pray for God's presence. He's with you if you're in Christ. That's his promise. What you have to do is learn to experience God's presence. Lean into the things we've talked about. Be seeing, be listening, be generous in giving. Responding to his presence is the key. Secondly, example number two, gain courage through Christ's sovereign purposes. So if you would, look at Acts 23, 11 again. The following nights, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you testified about me in Jerusalem, you also must testify where? In Rome. Folks, this is God's purpose, not Paul's purpose. Paul didn't head to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 as he's persecuting the churches, all of a sudden experiences Christ, comes to genuine faith, all of a sudden, man, I can't wait to take the gospel to Rome. This was God's purpose birthed in Genesis 12. Blessed to be a blessing, Acts 1, to the ends of the earth. And so let's see how God's purposes unfold. I want to invite you to stand. It's always good to stand, get your blood circulating. We're going to read another chunk of scripture here, verses 12 through 24. Covering a lot of territory this morning, but... I chose to keep it all together. We had to stay in context to get these uh, pictures of courage. So, follow along. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse, neither to eat nor to drink until they had Paul killed. 
There was more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. Wow. I mean, this is serious stuff. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he bring him down to you as if he were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. However, before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. This is scheming, folks. This is an absolute plot to take the life of the Apostle Paul. This is Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There are powers and principalities, evil forces at work here. That's what's going down. But notice, remember God's purposes. I love this. But the son of Paul's sister, meaning his nephew, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions, over a hundred soldiers, and said, Take this young man to the commander, because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander, and said, The prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, because he has something to tell you. Then the commander took him by the hand, led him aside, and inquired privately, What is it that you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow, and that's 72 leaders of the Jewish people in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, as though they were going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you, because there are more than 40 of them arranging to ambush him, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they kill him. Now they are ready, waiting for a commitment from you. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. He summoned, this is remarkable, folks. Check out what happens next. He summoned two of his centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight in the evening. Also provide mounts so they can put Paul on them and bring him what? Safely to Felix, the governor, who is ruling in Caesarea. Please be seated. So, try to put yourself in Jerusalem during that scenario. Forty religious zealots plotting to kill the apostle Paul, scheming. They have a plan, and it looks like it's going to go down. In human terms, think it through. It looks like Paul's life's over. But what does God do? Because his plans and purposes will not be thwarted, there's Paul's nephew overhearing the plot and gets the attention of the commander who intervenes on behalf of Paul and his life is rescued. Friends, this is remarkable. Isaiah 43, 14, 13 says this. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. Think that through for a moment. Jesus said that in John 10 about salvation. When you're the father, nothing's going to snatch you out of his hands. That's John 10. That's where he's getting it from. Here's Paul ready to be snatched by 40 plotting his death. And Isaiah says, no one's going to snatch anyone out of God's hands. No one can undo what I have done. Friends, that's sovereignty. That means God has a purpose and he will enact his purpose to his glory. He had a purpose for Paul, and it was to preach Christ in Rome. We'll get there. It's Acts 28. He did. He spent a couple years in Rome preaching the good news. It's a remarkable story. 
And so last week we talked about Paul moving from antagonist to kingdom assignments. And I love how the Bible represents children, youth, and young adults. And so for this front row here and others in that age category, think through how the Bible promotes children, youth, and young adults. Let me give you a picture for children. In Mark 10, 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. God's four children, they were pushing the children away, meaning the disciples. Jesus, now let them come. The kingdom of heaven. If you were here last week, these children being baptized. It's part of the kingdom. Children, youth, I'm part of the future church. They're part of the church today. Students, listen to me for a moment, please. You're already listening, but maybe listen harder. With bigger ears. All through the Bible, God chose to use young people. Joseph was 17 when he was sold as a slave into Egypt. We know that. Esther was a teenager when she became queen of Persia. A teenager. Why? To save her people from genocide in the Persian Empire. Mary was a teenager when the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was impregnated by God to give birth to the Messiah. God uses teenagers. Timothy was a young man being called into ministry. Please hear me. God values you and wants to give you a kingdom assignment. And so, what about our kingdom assignment? The beautiful thing is, here's this young lad, the nephew of Paul, overhearing a conversation. God inspires him. Hey, man, tell the story. And fast forward, Paul is rescued to go to Caesarea. When we walk in the spirit, when we're in the right place at the right time, God just says yes. When we yield to his will, to his kingdom assignment, boy, he wants to use us for his kingdom and glory. And we see so much of that happening at Westwind. Let me tell you a fun story that took place a few years ago regarding kingdom assignment. I had the privilege with leadership's backing to stand up preaching a sermon on Matthew 25. I had 20 $50 bills. Matthew 25 is about stewarding your resources, and part of your resources is treasure. And so I, I concluded the sermon, leadership endorsed it, the others were cheering on, and we just said, hey, if you would like to inaugurate a kingdom assignment today, we want to give you $50 to invest for his kingdom and glory. So we worked with folks, they came up, we gave them uh, some guidelines, and friends, for the next months, we celebrated one kingdom assignment after another, how $50 turned into $1,000 and blessed and served people. One of my favorite stories is one gal got involved in sex trafficking ministry in Minnesota. And it's a breaking free ministry. You can go online today. It's just a very, very fruitful ministry. We had not heard of breaking free in Minnesota at the time. We had no relationship. Well, she went out. She made an investment. And next thing you know, a partnership began with our church that had flourished for years. Kingdom assignment. God has given each one of us resources. Would you agree? I don't need to give you $50 today. You have time, you have treasure, you have talent, you have touch. Let's invest it for his kingdom and glory. Let's see his kingdom come as this young lad did. What a beautiful picture. You know, we have a story of a boy who comes to Jesus one day with a few loaves and fishes. 
Can you use these? And he feeds thousands. That's the picture in scripture. Let's find our kingdom assignment. Now, finally, example number three, gain courage through Christ's sovereign path. Path is way different than purpose. So uh, we're going to look at what happens next. And again, another chunk of scripture. So stand with me. We'll keep that blood flowing. Try to keep you awake. Acts 23, 25 through 35. So here's what's happening. God rescues. His purpose is going to be accomplished. The commander assembles a half a garrison, folks. <laughs> a garrison was a thousand soldiers. A half a garrison for one man. And so a letter is sent and paves the way. So check with me. The commander wrote a letter of this kind. Claudius Lysias. To the most excellent governor, Felix, down in Caesarea, the procurator, greetings. When this man, meaning Paul, had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by him, I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know the charge they were accusing him of. I brought him down before the Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations were about disputed matters in their law and that there was no charge that merited death or chains. When I was informed that there was a plot against the man, I sent him right to you, meaning to Felix. He also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. He's trying to do things the Roman way by the law. This is a Roman citizen to get treated fairly. Therefore, the soldiers took Paul during the night, brought him to Antipatris, which is about, it's a 60-mile trip from Jerusalem to Caesarea. It's about halfway. Um, as they were ordered, and they did that at night. The next day, they returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him, meaning the 70 mounted on soldiers, on horses. When these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him, and he read it. He asked what province he was from. So when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing whenever your accusers get here too. And he ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Please be seated. Folks, I read the Bible just at face value, and this is over-the-top, remarkable, divine intervention. Think about it. 470 soldiers, 470, are being assembled. 70 of them are on horses. It's cavalry. 200 of them had spears. For one guy, one Jewish evangelist. <laughs> this is God's intervention. This is the purpose and path that God outlined for his servant. And so a reminder again from Isaiah. I love Isaiah 55. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than yours, my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, nobody in their right mind could create such a plan. It's, a, it's, it's nonsensical to think 470 soldiers are going to rescue one Jewish guy. And yet that was God's plan. That was God's path. Paul later wrote Ephesians 3.20. He stood in awe of God. He experienced God's presence, undoubtedly. He said, now unto him 
who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Where could Paul get such beautiful words? We call it doxology to the glory of God. He got it through the presence, through the purpose, and through the path that God put him on. Now unto him, who was able to do way beyond, I could imagine, 470 soldiers to rescue me from Jerusalem, to get me to Caesarea. You know what happens at Caesarea? Let me show you, and we're going to unpack this in the coming weeks. Let me show you a picture of Herod's palace. If you were with us a few months ago, we showed you a, a recreation of Caesarea. It's quite a remarkable place. This is a, the area where the palace was. If you see right in the center, that's an Olympic-sized pool. This is opulence beyond measure. This was the number one port city in the ancient Mediterranean world built by King Herod the Great. You know him. And so here's Paul on a mission, purpose, to go to Rome. And the path is he's going to spend two years, don't miss that, in Caesarea. Two years. And who is he going to preach to? You're going to hear about it. He's going to preach to Felix, a governor. He's going to preach to Festus, a governor who replaced Felix, and he's going to preach to King Agrippa II, the great-grandson of Herod the Great. The gospel's going to go forward in Caesarea Maritime, and then the gospel's going to propel to Rome to the ends of the earth. Why? Be strong and courageous. It's a tough calling. I'll be with you, presence. I have purposes. We're going to Rome, and I have a unique path. 470 soldiers are going to get you safely to Herod's palace. You're going to spend two years there preaching Jesus Christ. The church was born in Caesarea and then launched to Rome. So as we think through this morning, personalizing this message, I'm convinced we all have tough callings. That's just life, right? And who knows what tonight or tomorrow holds, this week holds. There's a lot of things that blindside us. A lot of things come our way that we're just not ready for. But I know this for sure. If you're in Christ, he is present. Lean into his presence. Lean into it today. He has a purpose. And so as hard as it might be to reconcile what's going on, there's a purpose behind it. Sometimes it's simply just to conform us to Christ. James 1 talks about persevering through the trials, the various trials of life. Why? The trials produce patience. It produces endurance. That you might be complete, lacking nothing. Christ gets formed in you through trials, through pain, through tough callings, through hardship, leaning into his purpose. And then the path. Only God can define that. I really love how Luke is so detailed. 70 soldiers on horses, 200 spearmen, 400, a half a garrison to take care of one Jewish guy. Rome didn't have a heart for Jews, but they did take care of their citizens. Paul was a Roman citizen. God had a plan. Pray with me, please. We stand in awe of you, Lord. Paul's life testifies to a man of courage because of God who's present, who's purposeful. 
and who has a plan. So hallelujah to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Father, would you please meet us in our tough calling? Would you please bring glory to your name as you did through Paul's life? We close now, Lord, in song, worship. Tenderize our hearts, Lord. Sometimes it's so hard, we resist your spirit. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.